0: Phalon's new perfume, I love you, 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 the most lasting perfume, the most fragrant bouquet, the sweetest of perfumes. I push the air with the greatest of ease, a daring young man on the dying. Hi there. This is Hugh Yeeman, and you're listening to Historic Headlines, the podcast where we gain historical insight by examining newspaper articles from 50, 100, and 150 years ago this week. Hey there, and welcome to episode 29. If you're a fan of true crime, you're in luck, because this is the closest thing to a true crime podcast I will ever do. I'm just not a true crime guy. My daughter Morgan tried to get me into one or two podcasts a few years back. It just wouldn't take. It's not my bag. But, while I was looking through the Syracuse Daily Journal from March 13th, 1871, 150 years ago today... I was struck by the overwhelming wave of crime and seedy, degenerate, sick behavior. All of these criminal cases that came before the various courts and came before the press spanned the entire spectrum of criminality and seediness and overall goofy fuckery. I'm going to start with the local news City Notes section, because I want you to see the sense of humor that the editor had. Sometimes from our modern perspective, it's all too easy to have the sense of humor just fly under our radar. It can be absolutely bludgeoning, but at other times it can be so subtle that it escapes us. So I want to tease that out. City notes. Matters at the police office have been very quiet during the past 48 hours. (laughs) I didn't laugh at that the first time I saw it because, again, it was too subtle for me to really notice. Once I had read all these horrific stories, I came back to it and I realized just how dryly sardonic the editor was being. It becomes more obvious when you skip to the next little blurb here. Uh, Sorry, that's, that's down the page a little bit. The next one is... The rain of yesterday caused the water in Onondaga Creek to raise some 16 inches. That's innocuous enough, but wait till it gets going. The next one... It is expected that the criminal calendar of the county court will be taken up today... Or tomorrow, again, dryly understated, but the second allusion, sarcastic allusion, to all of these bizarre criminal cases that make Syracuse for one day look like an absolute shit kaleidoscope. Lent began this year on Washington's birthday and will close on the anniversary of Lee's surrender. I would like to know to what degree that's a joke. I haven't looked up the dates or anything like that, but it sounds like the anniversary of Lee's surrender, he gave up, lent, that, that sounds like a joke, but I don't know whether Washington's birthday is an illusion that escapes me. Rainey, the would-be suicide, is considered by his physician to be improving. His chances of recovery are increasing. Hugh here. Uh, Suicide is an all-too-prevalent thread running through newspapers from this era, and you're going to see a couple of uh, attempted suicides on this page. The earth above the Mulberry Street sewer, just north of Genesee Street, has settled from the rain of yesterday. It should be attended to at once. Weather prophets are, as usual, prognosticating the destruction of fruit— but there are some good reasons for them to base their opinions upon. The sap is rising from the roots of many kinds of trees, and their buds beginning to swell. It does not seem probable that we shall escape a cold snap yet, which would do infinite injury to advanced vegetation. So, taken as a whole, the city notes section is saying, yeah, the city is being smothered in crime and sewage. Spring is coming. We might survive. And now a word from our sponsor. Carriages! C.P. Phillips at number 30 West Fayette Street continues to use the best materials in manufacturing his carriages, will not use a cheap article to compete with cheap work or sell any new work except of his own manufacture. We now return to our program. Attempted suicide, Mrs. Penzer tired of life, she attempts to hang herself in her cell but is prevented. Our readers are aware that Mina Penzer who, with one Anthony Dean, murdered her husband in December last by clubbing him and subsequently throwing his body into the Erie Canal, and who, with Dean, was subsequently indicted for his murder and is now confined in the penitentiary, awaiting her trial at the May circuit, attempted suicide last evening by hanging. For several days past. Mrs. Penzer has at times given utterance to incoherent expressions, evidently trying to play the insane dodge for her benefit, but little attention has been paid to her ravings, though a proper watch has been kept over her. On locking her in her cell last night, she, after the keepers had disappeared, took her blankets and, tearing them into strips, made a rope of sufficient strength to sustain her body. One end of the rope she tied to the upper crossbar of her cell door, and then, procuring her cell bucket, she placed it in a convenient position, and, standing upon it, was in the act of tying the rope about her neck when she was discovered by her keeper and the rope and bucket taken from her. Her attempts at self-destruction thus proved abortive, and she expressed her displeasure thereat by several oaths. Hugh here. Now, you notice that they said she was evidently trying to play the insane dodge. This was an era when the idea of getting out of a criminal charge by claiming temporary insanity was a fairly novel idea. If you look back at an earlier episode of this podcast, you will see one of the, I guess you'd call it a pioneering example of that, uh, after a man killed a guy who had uh, apparently had sex with his wife while he was away at the Civil War uh, I'll include a link to that in the show notes and now a word from our sponsor why is it that every grocery man in the city is down on at well the live and let live grocer at 91 South Salina Street. Answer, because he can afford to and does undersell. Best, kerosene oil, 25 cents per gallon. Old fogey price, 30 cents. New crop layer raisins, 15 cents per gallon. Old fogey price, 25 cents. All kinds, yeast cakes, 6 cents per gallon. Old fogey price, 10 cents. Very choice molasses, 50 cents per gallon. Old fogey price, 80 cents. Sugar's just about a cent a pound cheaper than anybody else. Sugar-cured hams are one to two cents the cheapest, cheaper. And on teas, nobody comes anywhere near him on quality or price. Go and see and we're back. Highway robbery. Arrest of the alleged robbers. A man garroted in the streets in the evening and robbed of over $3,000 in money and bonds. A middle-aged German named George Shutley, residing at Durhamville, Madison County, was the victim of a daring highway robbery in this city on Saturday evening. The facts are substantially as follows. Shutley came to this city on Friday evening of last week and remained overnight. Previous to coming, he had collected his worldly effects in the shape of $1,280 in bills and $2,130 in certificates of deposits this amount of funds he had about his person on saturday desiring to turn his funds into gold he made application at the brokers finding the premium too much he did not so exchange his funds and fortunate for him that he did not during the afternoon he drank some and that taking effect he strayed into a saloon where the amount of money about his person caused him to open his heart and Call up the inmates to drink with him. Displaying his well-filled wallet, he was at once spotted, and his new-found friends suddenly evinced a wonderful liking for him. They trotted him about town, plying him with liquor, until, between seven and eight o'clock in the evening, when they all brought up on Mulberry Street, in front... <clears throat> Officer Kelly's house, where one of his newfound friends attempted to hang him up, but he being too drunk was unable to stand, and so both went to the sidewalk. Shutley was prevented from crying out by a hand being pressed over his mouth by one of the robbers, while the other went through him, taking about $1,300 in money and $2,130 in certificates. Both then fled, and though, uh... Mildly intoxicated, Shuttley managed to get to the police office, and there made known the fact of the robbery. From descriptions given by parties who saw the transaction, Chief Davis and Detective McCall, this noon arrested two young men named George Rooney and Thomas Mulrooney, the former at a saloon and the latter on Burnett Street. Both deny being the robbers, but the proof against them is such that they will find hard work to get clear the meshes of the law, unconsciously woven about themselves. Both are well known to the officers as young villains of the first water, and we hope, if proven guilty of this daring crime, that the severest penalty of the law will be meted out to them. And now a word from our sponsor. Paper collars! We will sell 10,000 paper collars at 10 cents a box to close them out. Sizes from 12 to 16. Come and get a supply of good collars. W.K. Hood, 76 South Salina Street. Linen collars. We are offering a fine line of linen collars by half-dozen or dozen. Latest styles at reduced prices. Bows cheap. W.K. Hood, 76 South Salina Street. And we're back. So you'll notice I clustered two ads together there. Uh, They were not physically together. They were in the same column, but they were uh, spaced apart by, you know, a a number of of ads in between. Uh, Point here being that a lot of advertisers used clever little ways to make an impression. And sometimes they would repeat ads from the same person, but with different content right on top of one another, and sometimes they would space them out. Anyway, it was a means of, oh, if somebody ignores that one, then maybe a repetition of another ad from the same person rather than one bigger ad would catch their eye more. Anyway, there's a lot of variations like that. Poison. Narrow escape from death by accidental poisoning. A narrow escape from death by poison occurred on Friday evening at the residence of Mr. Isaac Danziger in the Lang Block, Olive Street. The facts as we learn them are as follows. Mrs. David Danziger Danziger was at the home of her brother-in-law, as above stated, and while there she was taken ill. Her sister-in-law recommended pennyroyal tea, which she concluded to try, and told her husband, to get the herb at a drugstore. Mr. Danziger went to a drugstore and called for two packages of penny Royal tea, as he affirms. The proprietor affirms that he understood him to say belladonna, and asked him if he wanted belladonna, and affirms that he understood Mr. D to say that that was what he wanted, though Mr. Danziger does not remember of saying so, and the druggist "'called out to a clerk in the rear of the store "'to bring two packages of belladonna. "'Mr. Danziger, after making the request for the herb, "'paid no more attention to the call of the proprietor "'and on receiving the packages paid for them, "'and his wife and sister-in-law "'coming into the store at that moment, "'his wife took the package Packages from his hand, and put them in her pocket. Neither looked at them at the time. On returning from a religious meeting and a subsequent social gathering at the home of Henry Danziger, and previous to retiring about eleven o'clock and in a dimly lighted chamber, Mrs. Danziger broke off a portion of one of the packages, of course thinking all was right, and gave it to her husband with a request to go downstairs and steep it. He did so, and on returning she drank a quantity. The poisonous drug soon began to manifest its effects, and her friends becoming alarmed, medical aid was summoned. Doctors Mercer and Cyril responded, and after learning the facts in the case, asked to see the package from which the tea had been made. It bore the printed inscription, Nightshade, Deadly, Atropi Belladonna. D. H., New Lebanon, New York. The appropriate antidotes were immediately administered, and after several hours, Mrs. D. was pronounced out of danger, and subsequently entirely recovered from the effects of the poison. The accident was the result of a misunderstanding on the part of all concerned, and blame cannot be assigned—blame cannot be charged to any person. Hugh here. That one really threw me for a loop. I I didn't know what to think at first because it's hard for me to believe that anyone could say Penny Royalty and have someone hear or thought that they heard Belladonna and then repeat the word Belladonna several times and have the first person not notice it all seems very eyebrow raising like yeah yeah right pull the other one because In this era, death by intentional poisoning of various relatives was all too common. The the newspapers are full of horrific stories about people who poisoned various family members, so my initial reaction was to cast uh, a, a suspicious eye on this, but just the fact that it was plainly labeled and she took it out of his hand and... All the details speak to hilarious fuckery and utter obliviousness, but not ill intent. But anyway, it seems of a piece with the unbelievable kaleidoscope of crime and and darkly ridiculous shit on this one page. Did I mention this is all from a single page of that newspaper printed 150 years ago? There's one exception to that, and I'll let you know when I get to it. It has come! The perpetual candle gives a good bright light for one cent a night and has no chimney to break. Wholesale and retail at the Emporium of Light, 88 South Salina Street, Syracuse, New York. Agents Wanted. Recovered his money. It will be remembered that several weeks since, one Michael O'Connor was taken in to the tune of $90, he paying that amount, COD, to the United States Express Company's agent in this city, Levi S. Mayo, for a box, which he supposed contained a quantity of the queer, but which only contained a cobblestone sent by one of the queer-dealing firms of New York. On Friday last, after cons- consultation with the officers of the company, Mr. Mayo returned the money paid to O'Connor. It is to be hoped that after the lesson received by O'Connor, he will in the future keep clear of queer currency dealers. Hugh here. I have no idea what's going on there. I haven't had the time to do any research into this so I don't understand the reference to, quote-unquote, queer. Given the context, I expect that it might be an illegal drug, or it was supposed to be an illegal drug, and then this scammer ended up just throwing a cobblestone in the box to give it weight, mailed it out, and that's why there's no mention of any criminal, <clears throat> excuse me, criminal charges being brought to bear, because regardless of the intent... If there was, in fact, no illegal substance in the box, then they wouldn't have a leg to stand on legally. Uh, I have no idea. That's That's just my guess. If anyone knows what the hell queer refers to in the context of 1871, please let me know. The Stuart Parlor Stove These stoves, unrivaled in the past, with their modern improvements, still rank ahead of all competitors. The unrivaled success of the Lawson hot-air furnaces in heating churches, public buildings, or private residences is now generally acknowledged by all. The new Stuart Cook stove, with shaking and dumping grate, and the home friend cook must ere long be seen in every kitchen, N. Downs and Company, 35 Warren Street, sole agents for the city. All right, folks, this is where it gets really ugly, and I'm going to give you a trigger warning for this one and the following one because it involves sexual assault. William H. Rainey's antecedents. The life of this man, who stands charged with one of the most repulsive of crimes, and who on Friday attempted to deprive himself of life in a peculiar way, has been one of shades and shadows, brought about by a sadly depraved nature. Some eighteen years ago he wrestled with the law, and since then has been engaged in operations to which there was a penalty affixed, and which he paid at the time alluded to he was a boatman upon the Erie Canal, and at Manlius, at Illit, An illegitimate child of his cook was in some manner knocked overboard and drowned. It was charged that Rainey was guilty of the deed, while making an indecent assault upon the female alluded to, and who for several years had been the subject of remark in connection with Rainey's name. He was charged with the murder of the child, and the indictment was tried in the old courthouse before Judge Allen, but either through a want of proof or technicality in the law, he was not convicted. But immediately after his release, he was rearrested on a charge of attempt to commit rape, and forthwith tried, The defense set up by his counsel was that the woman was of notorious bad character and that it was therefore impossible to commit upon her the alleged crime. The court held that whatever her character might have been previous to the occurrence, she was justified in her attempt to recover virtue and ordered the trial to proceed, and the consequence was that he served the state some three or four years at Auburn, and at a later period was returned for about the same time for horse-stealing. There are many little incidents connected with his history going to show the pernicious results of an unbridled passion for evil. His recovery is now probable, and good care will be taken to prevent him from making another attempt at self-destruction. In due time, he will be tried, and we are justified in expressing the opinion that society will be rid of him for some years to come as the result of it. Hugh here. So that was really ugly, especially the bit about uh, saying essentially that it was impossible to rape a woman of such low virtue. I was glad to see that the court rejected that. Before we go on to the background article on that, let's dip into these words from our sponsor deafness cured a little daughter of s d newton of this city was entirely cured of deafness by dr liston and her health made better than it had ever been before dr liston it will be remembered will be at the syracuse house in this city on tomorrow and next day the 14th and 15th days of this month stopping For those two days only, for the purpose of treating all diseases of the eye, ear, throat, catarrh, or any chronic disease that may be presented to him. And we're back. So, did you catch that bit about Dr. Liston only being at the Syracuse house for two days? That was very common at this time. They had all these uh, doctors who were... To a greater or lesser extent, grifters, charlatans, snake oil salesmen, whatever you want to call them, who would travel around, make clairvoyant examinations, long distance, yada, 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 and they would put ads in the papers ahead of time when they were going to be in a particular place for uh, a short span of time, and presumably they would get a whole bunch of of patients uh, flocking to them or Or that was the idea, at least, while they came to town. Now, this is the worst part of all of this. I have been following this paper for a couple of days, so I knew what they were referring to when they talked about rainy. So I went back to the Syracuse Daily Journal from March 10th, 1871. Here's the the anteceding Anteceding? The preceding article that explains more about this, uh, this sick guy. Probable suicide. William H. Rainey wounds himself. The deed committed in the cells of the courthouse. Probable fatal result. Our readers will remember that on the 19th of December last... William H. Rainey was arrested, charged with having committed the terrible crime of incest upon his own daughter, Esther Rainey, a child of 11 years of age. It will also be remembered that Rainey was examined before Justice Corbett and committed to the penitentiary to wait the action of the grand jury. A bill of indictment in several counts was subsequently found against Rainey, and his trial was set down for the term of the county court now in session, and District Attorney Lyman was to have moved it today. This was prevented by the prisoner's attempt at suicide. In the cells of the courthouse where he was confined this morning, the facts of the attempted suicide, as we glean them, are substantially as follows: Between four and five o'clock this morning, the janitor, Frank Emmons, was aroused by cries proceeding from the cells beneath his sleeping apartments. Hurrying to that locality, he learned what Rainey had attempted. He learned that Rainey had attempted suicide by committing castration. He found him in his cell, bleeding terribly, and immediately dispatched word to Dr. Baker, who soon after arrived, and rendered such medical aid as was possible. The nature of the wound is such that there is but little hope of his recovery, and it is probable that he can survive but a few hours at the most. From the prisoner, confined in the cell with Rainey, we learn that Rainey, Last night, after all was quiet about the cells, sat up till very late, writing letters. He would stop, at times, and upon a small cobblestone would industriously wet a shoe-knife, which he had carried, concealed, by a string around his neck, which allowed the knife to hang down between his shoulder blades or beneath his armpits for the past four weeks. When interrogated as to his intentions, Rainey remarked that he was preparing to— shave himself, before going into court today. About midnight, the prisoner with Rainy fell asleep, leaving him still up and writing. On awakening this morning, he found Rainy up, pacing the cell, and seemingly in considerable agony of mind. He asked Rainey how he had passed the night, and he remarked, very well but his actions alarmed his cellmate, who determined to inform the keeper that Rainey had the knife as soon as he had an opportunity. On remarking that he had passed the night very well, Rainey took a chair that was in the cell and, placing it close in front of the cell door, sat down upon it with his back to his cellmate. Almost immediately thereafter, Rainey exclaimed, "'My God! I cut myself!' He threw the knife down and, getting up, went and laid down upon the bed in the cell. The alarm was given with the above result. On being asked why he attempted death in this terrible manner, he said that previous to the cutting he had placed the knife to his throat four times in succession, but the desire to see his family once again before death restrained him from making the fatal cut. He finally concluded to adopt some means that would not produce instant death, that he might be enabled to again see his wife and children. In the cell were a number of letters addressed to various persons, which had been written since his confinement in the penitentiary and during his incarceration in the courthouse cells. Yesterday afternoon, Rainey had a long consultation with his counsel, L.W. LW Hall, Esquire, during which he was advised in the event of his being unable to produce rebutting testimony at his trial to withdraw his plea of not guilty and plead guilty with a view of getting a reduction in the term of his sentence. This Rainey refused to do, probably having in his mind his ability to shuffle off this mortal coil before his trial. At eleven o'clock this Forenoon he was lying quietly in his cell, though bleeding from his wounds, the physicians being unable to take up the arteries. Up to that hour his family had not visited him, as it was feared that any excitement might produce profuse bleeding and death. In the letters left by Rainey, he says that if he committed the crime with which he is charged, he does not know anything about it he said he had been drinking very freely for some time previous to the alleged perpetration of the crime of which he is accused. We'll be right back. If you want to buy nice honey by the cap or single pound, go to C.T. Potter's store, 43 East Onondaga Street, He has the largest supply and finest quality to be found in the city at lower prices than at other stores. Also, a fine stock of pens and choice groceries at reduced prices. Now is your time to buy cheap. We now return to our show. Charged with passing a stolen bond on Monday last, Deputy United States Marshal D.M. Olds, of this city, arrested at Cortland, one Oscar H. Alice, charged with passing a stolen United States registered bond for $500, knowing the same to be a stolen bond. Olds brought his prisoner to this city and he is being examined before United States Commissioner Roger, of this city, today. The bond is one of those included in the Cuban Junta bond robbery in new york the bond number 4303 payable to carlos del castillo of loisagan loisagan loison i don't know was passed by alice on mr gillette ingles of courtland alice does not deny the passing of the bond but claims not to have known it was stolen and claims to have purchased it of a man named judah pierce of new york city The case is still under examination as we go to press. See the finest assortment of lamps in Syracuse at 88 South Salina Street, A. Bliss, Agent. Before buying lamps or chandeliers, look in at the Emporium of Light, 88 South Salina Street, A. Bliss, Agent. Court Record Police Court before Justice Corbett, Monday, March thirteenth, 1871. Samuel Cooper of Richland, Oswego County, was released from the penitentiary on Friday, where he has been confined for the past six months for an assault and battery on his wife. So overjoyed was he at his release that on Saturday he got drunk and was locked up. He, He pled guilty and expressed contrition at his conduct and, promising to leave town, he was discharged." John Burke was arraigned, charged on oath of Lizzie Smith, with an assault and battery. The alleged assault took place while the parties were in bed on the night of March 3rd, and consisted of the defendant striking and choking the complainant. The defendant denied the charge, waived an examination, and proposed to give bail. William Sanders, an Poster, from Rockville, Connecticut, came to town Saturday, and by representing himself to be a member of the Order of Good Templars, and, in want, succeeded in raising several dollars from members of the Order in this city with which he got drunk. The contributors, learning of the bad use made of their charity— secured the arrest of Sanders, who pled guilty to drunkenness. He was sentenced to pay a fine of $10 or go to the penitentiary for 90 days. Committed. Robert M. Bendell of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, applied for and was furnished lodgings at the Station House last night. County Court and Court of Sessions, Honorable Henry Rigel, County Judge, presiding James Little and Joseph Long, Esquire's Justice of Sessions, Syracuse, March 13, 1871. Court met this forenoon pursuant to adjournment. Rufus H. Lee indicted for forgery, in the third degree was arraigned, and trial put over to the next Oyer and Terminer. Gave bail in the sum of $1,000, Alan S. Burgess security. John Murphy indicted at the present term of this court for robbery from the person and petty larceny. Trial put over the term. Murphy is to give bail in the sum of $1,500. Sylvester G. Johnson, one of the Mabel robbers, is now on trial. Hugh here. A couple of things about that last segment of court records. Do you remember the name Corbett? Police Justice Corbett. If you don't, Go back to episodes 5 through 12. You'll hear a lot about him. He was uh, elected uh, police justice in the 1868 February uh, Syracuse elections, and uh, I find uh, Patrick Corbett to be one of the most fascinating figures in Syracuse in this era. I'll include, as always, a link to this in the show notes. Now, on the subject of William Sanders, an impostor from Rockville. I want you to understand just how common and how easy it was for people to assume false identities in this era. I did a series of blog posts about this because a guy who was a business associate with my great-grand-uncle, Robert Charles Yeaman, in Syracuse for a while He absconded with some funds. He was a real dirty dealer, a real uh, low-life criminal. And uh, eventually, one of his schemes landed him in a Georgia prison, sometime in the 1890s. And he languished there, not wanting the law in the Syracuse neck of the woods to catch up with him. He never told anybody who he was. So he languished in this Georgia prison for a year. Now, the interesting thing was... That back in the Syracuse area, there were plenty of articles about how this guy in a Georgia prison was almost certainly this rhubottom guy that everybody knew about from all of the shady dealings and criminal behavior he had engaged in. But nobody in Georgia knew who they had in that prison that whole time, which means nobody communicated back to Georgia who this guy was, even though they knew. I know it sounds weird and and fishy and uh, virtually impossible, but believe me, I've done copious research on this. There are multiple articles confirming the fact that even though the people back in Syracuse knew who this guy was in the Georgia prison, uh, the people in Georgia didn't know that who they had for a year. So my point of all this is to say that the fundamental, uh, the substrate of communication was so much more sparse and so much uh, less prevalent and, and less easy to use at the time, we can't even conceive of the difficulty of communicating ahead and communicating across broad geographical distances. The substrate of communication simply was not the same. So it was really easy for for people to pull off these kinds of imposter grifts if they weren't stupid enough to just go straight to the nearest bar and get drunk with the money they had just grifted off of uh, members of this fraternal society. Anyway... We'll be right back after this word from our sponsor. Change of base. W.S. Peck, owing to the rapid increase of business, has been obliged to vacate the old stand, 36 North Salina Street, and will now be found at number 22 North Salina Street, E.R. Wallace's old stand, where will be found all the new styles of men's and boys' ready-made clothing, together with a nice assortment of clothes and Casimirs. Cloths and Casimirs, which will be sold by the yard or made to order in the best possible style. At three-fourths the price of any merchant tailor in the city. Don't fail to give him a call before purchasing. 22 North Salina. And we're back. Alarm of fire! About 4 o'clock on Saturday afternoon, word was left at the engine house of Steamer No. 1 to the effect that a house on Canal Street was on fire. The city hall bell was struck twice, and the steamer started for the fire. On reaching Warren Street Bridge, Chief Engineer Eckel ordered the steamer back to the house. The alarm proceeded from the burning of some straw in a woodshed on Canal Street, and which was extinguished without damage to the building here. Normally, I wouldn't have included that, but within the context of the whole page, it reads like a relief. There, the fires at that time were so prevalent that the headline alarm of fire and then finding out that it was more or less a false alarm, they must have breathed such a, a sigh of relief and, and that, the fact that this fire alarm was actually a bright spot in an otherwise grim page, I think contributes to the overall sense of humor of the antics in Syracuse on this day 150 years ago. I'm going to leave you with a whole string of advertisements which uh, are stacked on top of each other in the same column. New advertisements. Situation wanted as nurse. Good references given. Apply at the home. Wanted. A girl. To do general housework. Must come. Well recommended. Apply at 46 Seymour Street. A girl wanted. To do general housework. References required. Inquired at number 2 two Burns Block, Warren Street, Mr. R. R. Spalding. Butterick's Patterns. For ladies, gents, and children's new styles. Just received for March at the Pattern Store, number 27 West Fayette Street. Also fashion plates. Mrs. T.T. Clark, successor to George W. Willard. (laughs) Lost Friday evening near Beach and East Genesee Streets. A thread-lace veil. The finder on leaving it at 318 East Genesee Street will be... amitably... Rewarded. Suitably. Suitably rewarded. Closing out stock of Yankee notions and fancy goods at auction. Sale to commence on Thursday the 16th instant at 2 p.m. and continue for three days, afternoon and evening at Numbers 1 and 2 Pike Block, West Fayette Street. Show... Uh... Showcases, clock... Desk, safe, stoves, etc. will be sold on Saturday afternoon if not disposed of before. T.K. Stone Home School for Girls, Skinny Atlas, New York. Arrangements have been made for receiving an additional number of pupils into this well-known family school, which has now become permanently established. The best facilities are afforded for uh, instruction in music, French, and the English branches but the intrinsic merit of the school is that every pupil will find a home. Spring term will open, third Monday in April. Address the principal, Sarah T. Wilkinson. Thanks for listening, and until next time, seek context. This is Hugh Yeaman, and you've been listening to the Historic Headlines Podcast. Thanks, as always, to Tom Truniski for all his fabulous work on FultonHistory.com. Without his free repository of old newspapers, this podcast wouldn't exist. Oh, he'd fly through the air with the greatest of ease. A daring young man on the flying trapeze. His movements were graceful, the girls he could please. And my love he's stolen away